0: I I see that direct correlation between exercise and you know a better management of diabetes whether it's taking care of you know caloric intake based on output you know your exercise it could be rugby chopping wood or running down a mountain you know all those you know help.
1: Hi there and welcome back to another exciting episode of the My Lazy Pancreas podcast. My name is Kyle Masterman. I'm an athlete a husband, a father, and a passionate advocate for living life well with type 1 diabetes. My journey has taken me on some amazing sporting adventures, mountain bike racing, endurance cycling, martial arts, triathlons, and a range of other exciting activities. But the one adventure I am most proud of was my off-road mountain biking adventure in 2018 called the Mundabidi's Epic Adventure. It was essentially a 1,000 kilometer 10-day tour of the iconic Mundabidi Trail, offering up some of the most amazing off-road scenes the southwest of western australia has to offer but it wasn't without its challenges both diabetic and physical my life living with type 1 diabetes has brought me across some amazing people achieving their goals and thriving with the disease this podcast is all about telling their stories so that it may provide some inspiration to help you and those around you living with the disease achieve your goals and aspirations without fearing the disease this is episode number five and today i am honored to introduce you to doug massick Doug is a US-based endurance running athlete with a huge passion for type 1 diabetes advocacy in the community. Living with the disease for over 40 years has not stopped this man chasing his goals in any way. In 2012, he decided to run across the American continent, racking up some 5,500 kilometres. Then, in 2015, after discovering the thrill of cycling, he cycled across the American continent. Same distance, different challenges. Then came a change of scenery in 2019 when he decided to come to Australia with a goal of running across the Australian continent. After enduring the vast emptiness of the Nullarbor and 40 plus degrees heat, he made it to the South Australian border, however he was forced to pull out due to injury. He still managed to rack up 1500 kilometres, which is a pretty epic achievement in my eyes. I don't want to give too much away, so let's get into today's podcast so you can hear Doug tell his inspiring story. Before we do, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, if you like it, that is. You can do this via your favourite podcasting app, SoundCloud, or my blog at mylazypancreas.com. That's mylazypancreas.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I do hope you enjoy
2: this episode. Welcome, Doug. Thanks very much for joining in. Yeah, thank you, Carl. It's that? bright and early over here in your favorite place, Western Australia. I love Western Australia. I love it. It is a lot cooler at the moment, starting to cool down, so you you probably should have come for a run over here, you know, this time of the year. It's a lot nicer. You're
0: you're welcome. Maybe it was just trying to make my life harder, so it was following me. So as soon as I left,
2: it got better. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to get started just um, around your, I suppose, your diagnosis. Um, how long you've had your type one diabetes for, and you know what? What was the story behind that? Well, I I don't know the the hard number just because I'm not the best at arithmetic always.
0: But I was diagnosed uh, 1977. Um, coincidentally, it was November the first when my parents took me to uh, uh, the hospital, which is the day after Halloween. Um, I'm not familiar if Australia celebrates Halloween, but in the states, it basically means you're a child, you dress up, and people hand you candy. Um, so the irony and joke of it is, is that you ate so much candy and you broke yourself. Uh, <laughs> the case, but it's something to uh, um, to kind of make light of it. Um, but it is one of my first memories. Uh, you know, I was three years old, and uh, I remember my parents being very sad. I remember the, uh, the admitting doctor. Remember that his coat smelled like cigarette smokes because this is the seventies. Yeah, and um, you know I, I, what I don't remember, and what I can share is that that was just in the beginning of an era where, before that, when people were diagnosed, it was kind of an ominous, um, and that it was perceived as a death sentence. Whereas the person, the attending doctor who saw me and diagnosed me, um, was younger. And says, "Uh uh-uh, your kid can go off and go forth to do everything. So all things considered, you know, in that regard, it was a gift. Because my parents were pretty proactive um, and said, well, this is what the doctor says. So I'd be scooted out the door with cousins and friends and a box of raisins in my back pocket. And away we went, as any little boy would, with the added, not complication, but responsibility of
2: managing diabetes. So... That's a great way to start getting yeah. that sort of advice. I know a lot of people don't get that. They get they get a lot of uh, feeling of limitation. So it's good that you got you got some motivation straight from the beginning. You know, there's no low limits to what you can do.
0: Sure, and don't don't misunderstand. you I I I bet you've had moments too, and they call this thing you know diabetes burnout. And I've never really given it that much credit in the sense of you know, it is there. It's 24 hours a day. It's 365. Um, And my perception's always been like, well, sure, but we're lucky. It's 2019. We're in the West. Uh, There's beautiful science and medicine that advocate in advance uh, and give us great, great resources. Because a generation before, that wasn't the case. And in other countries globally, uh, you don't always have that. That's not to say there isn't challenges with some of the financial aspects and pieces. You know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty aware of that, but, you know, there's a lot of potential, and I believe a great deal of hope, not only in the management of it, but for organizations, too. There's so many people out there cheerleading for us and doing the best they can. We're
2: lucky, and it's not cancer. You know, there's a lot of potential here. Definitely. We, have, we definitely have a way forward. Yeah. There are ways to keep doing what we love doing, and... That's uh, sorta of why this podcast was sorta of created and stuff that I do online as well is just to motivate people to keep doing the things that they love because there's no reason why you can't do it. Just it's just gonna take a little bit more effort, that's so. all. absolutely and you know what what I say to
0: a lot of, you know, kids, uh, whether recently diagnosed or, you know, a couple of years into it, you know, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to like go forth and, and find advocates for you. Doctors should be held with reverence, but it doesn't mean all doctors work with all patients. So, what I really try to impart, you know, to young adults and the teenagers, is that if it ain't working, you know, ask, find someone that's going to work for you, and you know, the doctor—they're not going to be insulted um, because, I don't know, like you choose a spouse or a partner, you know, you, you choose your doctor. So, you know, there's a lot of dating that goes on in that world. Well, why can't there be? And, and, and finding a healthcare professional is not always easy, but you know, especially in in those sensitive ages too, because honesty is such a big part of it. But also respecting the person that's on your team uh, and taking what they say to heart and t- at least trying. Yeah,
2: and, and that you're right there. That the key word there is team. You know, they're they're yeah. on your team. They're there to help you make it, make the most of it, right?
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
2: those are the people out there that are listening and don't know who you are. It's a bit of a rundown on on first of all, what sort of sports do you do? Uh wow.
0: Uh I really like ping pong. Uh I don't yeah. play nearly as much as I like to. It's easy, you don't have to leave your house. Um, but uh I, I guess what I'm known for is, is running. Um, you know, I as a kid, um I had an aptitude for it. I was pokey at learning how to tie my shoes. Uh, so I knew how to ride a bike, but those shoelaces would wind up in bike cranks. So I dumped the bike and just chased my mates, you know, and friends and, you know, I'd just keep up and run. Um, so, you know, in primary school, in those environments, I just had a a gift for it. Now that was an error and, you know, family being what they are, organized sports are important. Running is a solitary thing. So I was put into soccer and I had some talent at, at, at soccer. Um. And I was lucky, again, in that I had coaches that said, well, whatever, just because you're diabetic doesn't mean you can't do sprints. So, you know, it worked out great, but that I kind of neglected my health and that you become a young adult, you go through university, you get a job, you do those sorts of things. And, um, you know, like anyone struggling to try to, you know, maintain a balance of work, life, relationships, health, uh, you know, sometimes health becomes the first thing that gets thrown out the door, or at least exercise. And I was definitely, um, you know, affected by that. So that in my early 30s, I took the passing of of an aunt who I was really close with, who died unexpectedly from a heart attack, and that just broke my heart. I mean, it it, it just ripped me apart and ripped me to shreds. And it got me thinking in that, you know, someone like that with relatively good health and not like a pre-existing condition like diabetes... that could happen to them you know if i had any shot to make it to their age let alone you know even longer you know i needed to, to change something so i put on a pair of running shoes one night and ran maybe a quarter mile fell over got sick walked home slept for two days um but then went out again and ran a little bit further and then a little bit further became 10 miles and then in the course of a Basically, like three months, I was running, not every day, but close to 20 miles at night. And I'm doing it quickly, because if you wanted to make it to the highway and back, you know, you better run fast. So that, that just opened up other opportunities for me. And eventually, it was like, oh, well, geez, this is fun, but you've seen that sidewalk 8,000 times. You know, why not run across the United States? And everyone thought I was out of my mind. But I started looking into it and realized that others had done it. And it wasn't just this, you know, like Forrest Gump. It wasn't this fictitional thing. Like, people literally had done it. But no one with type 1. And at that moment, no one with any form of diabetes. So that I started making plans. And in 2012, I left from San Francisco. And, yeah, started running across the U.S. So no. after that, because um, we're talking about sports, uh I tried to run a famous iconic trail in the U.S., the Appalachian Trail. Um, I did some other events, too, and I needed a break from running, so I got a bike and being bored with it after, you know, going around the neighborhood for about two weeks, I said I'm going to ride across the U.S. And I wasn't a big cyclist at the moment, but I live in the mountains of Colorado, and um, we're, you know, 3,000 meters above sea level, so if I could go over these passes... And basically a hundred miles. Uh, I knew that I could ride it across the U.S. and I did. And then my bike's at the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm pedaling to California. So I still primarily run, but I bike a lot too. So yeah,
2: good and to hear. Good to hear. A, a fellow cyclist. It's uh, yeah, that's the yeah. love of my life as well is, is cycling, mountain biking, and, and road cycling.
0: Yeah, yeah. mountain biking. So I I don't touch that as much as I used to, but yep. yeah something about mashing pedals but what i will say is that you know and and talking to uh to neil you know i i can laugh because i have that perspective of one continent and was like you know yeah sure it's hard but cycling you can coast downhill especially if you're <laughs> bags running no you're taking every single step always so just something i i, I can smirk about because None of it's easy,
2: but at the same time at least you get little reprieves on the bicycle or you can. So 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 what you're saying is is yours was harder than Neil's? Is that what we're saying? (laughs) No. (laughs) By by no means. What I'm saying anyone running across the continent,
0: you know, that's just always just in a whole other level of pain. Uh, and biking I think mentally has its own challenges because you're moving at speeds and that shoulder of the road, that's as nerve wracking. Uh, when you're dealing with all that traffic and cars. Running, you can kind of, like, skirt off to the side. Biking, you can't. That's a flat tire and going over the handlebars, you know. Easier in the sense that there's moments where you could have a little break.
2: So, little I, I found the same thing when I was doing, um, I haven't run as, as long as you. I've only done half marathons and those sort of distances, 20-odd like Ks, which is um, something around, I've got my little conversion, mile conversion chart here, just in case yeah. you start. Talking in American? So There's only about twelve miles. Thirteen miles. We'll go with thirteen miles. Yeah. <laughs> but same same deal. are going going down the hills, you're like, oh if I was on the bike I could just stop pedaling and just have a quick rest, just recover and just <laughs> Yeah. But like you do that you do that when you're running and it's like you're standing still. <laughs> you're totally, yeah. Or you're going backwards, you know. Or oh, you're so. going backwards. <laughs> 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 yeah, definitely. With the, the the ride across America is um you obviously, said that was just something that just popped up because you were you're you're running every day, and then realized, hey, I can go a long distance. No, it it was a little bit more a little bit more serious in
0: the sense that, uh, in that year I ran close to seven thousand miles, so that would be like, I don't know, my math will be wrong here, but sixteen my chart doesn't go that way. Yeah, <laughs> sixteen thousand k, twenty thousand k, something absurd. And metabolically I was just struggling. Like nothing was wrong with me, but just basically a sense of chronic fatigue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Some would say, Well, go to the beach and lay down, you know, like no, uh, because I I see that direct correlation between exercise and you know, a better management of diabetes, whether it's taking care of, you know, caloric intake based on output, you know, your exercise. It could be rugby, chopping wood, or running down a mountain. You know, all those, you know, help maybe minimize the amount of insulin needed. And then also um, just liking that, liking being active so that when they said, well, maybe you should take a break from running for like six weeks, just regroup, let your body, not heal, but get some energy back. I said, well, okay. And that turned into me buying a bike seven days later. And then soon thereafter saying, well, what if, you know? Which is not the direction any my my medical team wanted it to go, but
2: so what? Here I am, you know. Um, That's the dangerous thing with with cycling. You you do long distance cycling, probably the same with running. You, you're out there and you got that break, and you got that time to think and come up with these things. And you're like, yeah, this feels good. I I could do that, no problem. And you come up with these crazy ass ideas. So it's a yeah, dangerous sport. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and and with cycling what was what
0: was really rewarding was that and when i my run across the united states it started and then we put some feelers out and we started doing events in communities and then once you run across the continent you're in a cult like you were straight up in a cult and there's a group in the us and it's called usa crossers and you are part of this tribe um and what was really special and unique about you know, my effort and my project was that the amount of community outreach I was doing. So it didn't just directly become a straight line, just get there in a hurry. That line started oscillating between communities so that the real impressive part outside of, you know, just having a chronic illness um, was the fact that I did about 100 events and met and spoke to over 100,000 people while running more than a marathon a day. Uh, And then in turn, the media that that followed it as well. Uh, And you become addicted to that. When the idea came about for the cycling, uh, I reached out to different diabetic organizations. I reached out to other groups and they became sure so that it was almost turnkey and it became a lot simpler to go into an elementary school and meet three diabetic kids and talk to the school about bicycling. It became easier to go to the American Diabetes Association event with the project they work at, the YMCA, and talk to their community, uh, and then at a university, and other groups along the way, and then one was in Phoenix, Arizona, and it gets really desolate, like the Null Bar's desolate out in the southwest part of the U.S. I picked someone up on the last third that helped me, uh, like a support vehicle, and we went to this event in Phoenix. And there was something like eight thousand people there, and you're just talking to them. That's a big deal. That's a large number, and it wasn't organic because work did go into it. The people that helped put it together worked very, very hard. But you've already done it once, so you know what that means to a group of people. And so that you know, the idea with Australia is, is you can run in a vacuum and run very quietly. But I think that you know, with diabetes, and I think with everyone participating on some level. You don't know who's watching. You don't know what it means to them. And, you know, with the type one, you know, you can get into vernacular and definition, but you get someone that's 18, 12, saying, hey, I do all this sort of stuff and I'm, I'm active. There could be an adult with type two and they could be having a pity party. But if they learn of your story, you may be motivated. You may never, ever, ever hear of that. But in turn, you're changing someone's life because they're like, well, they could do it. What's my excuse? and they're a kid, you know, and type 2 is a little bit, can be simpler, so you don't know what that means to them, and that's what, you know, a lot of these projects for me, after running across the U.S., became about, uh, to kind of cheerily navigate and inspire, and hopefully some other diabetic will run across Antarctica or whatever, you know, so something, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic, it's, it's a great way to uh, motivate you, but also motivate everyone else's utilizing the community and that inspiration in the community to push yourself harder, but also I suppose they they call it silent heroes, people that don't, they see your your story and they get motivated by it and they push on, but you never hear about it. So it's really great that you're utilizing what you're doing to help inspire others, so it's fantastic. I sort of enjoy doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and for me it's, it's insanely personal, you know, in that you'll meet people and you do it long enough And one thing I do is one mile runs for diabetes in communities and they get really formal and organized with insurance and banners and DJs and cameras and you name it, but it's just a mile. And for some people, that's a big deal. And, you know, I've stuck with that in that if you haven't been active since, you know, active since high school, you know, and here you are in your forties and you're a little bit overweight, you have kids, life, time, all this, but you've run that mile in high school or that 1500 meters. Say, well, I can do that. 5K could be very daunting to that person. And that we've had, you know, four-year-olds and a 94-year-old on the same route. So it's all about inclusion. But people have gone back and come back to me and said, you know, I was embarrassed. I was overweight. I was all these things. And I've been running on my own. I could finally run a mile. Uh, And I'm really excited to come out and do that. You know, the first year I kind of fell apart, but I'm back at it. Or I've gone off and run my first half marathon. And for me, you know, just the the loss of my aunt, you know, it's something that's very special to me. And, you know, without that moment, who knows where life would have taken me. But, you know, I I feel as if, you know, I owe a lot of that to her because just the nature of who she was and how that, in fact, changed my life to own my diabetes
2: and be responsible with it again. So. Yeah. And now you're you're passing that same motivation on. And that's that 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 one-mile run that's pun intended here. Small steps, right? It's only, only one mile, but it's enough to get people started moving that can feel that they can achieve something that small, but then move on to the next stage and then the next stage and they, they keep getting better and better and they keep on doing it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. So how far was the run across America? What was the what was the distance? It was like thirty four fifty, like
0: right around there. Miles. Miles or so kilometers. Yeah. I think that's like up in the, the sixes and seven. so um yeah uh and i averaged 30 miles a day um and uh it we didn't know what we were doing but we discovered fire so to speak and we just went with it and in turn um you know if there was an opportunity to meet with a jdrf group or american diabetes association or whomever you know a bunch of things stand out, you know, being in small towns and very rural areas, and there's one diabetic kid, and you go there and shake their hand. But they message you years later saying, Hey, I got to interview someone for school, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want to interview you. Or, you know, I run track and field now. Or it's the, the, the tale of that is just bizarre, very, very rewarding. Um, and it's a reminder of if you can continue to do it. I remember going into a hospital giving a presentation, and you know, someone on the staff saying, well, you got an extra five minutes." You know, I want to—I want to see if you want to meet someone. And they check with the family. Here's this kid that was de- diagnosed, and like I share with you, my memory of being diagnosed. Here's this family; th- th- their child was six, and no history of diabetes in the family. and You're standing in front of them, and whether it's in person or through a media aspect, if you're if you're on the news or something like that, and you just think, and it's it's not guaranteed, but if they see this in that moment, they're like, well, geez, if, here's my kid. It's a serious condition, and here's this person running across the continent. What are we truly scared of here? Like me with my admitting doctor when I was diagnosed, like, nah. Yeah, it's responsibility, and it's not easy, and of course you'd prefer for something different in life.
2: Nothing's really broken if you're hucking it across the continent. Because I suppose when they're when people are first diagnosed, it's it's an unknown. Like a lot of people don't even know what the disease is, and then they get this, and they're like, "All this bad stuff's going to happen to you." And this is what's going to happen. Your blood sugars are going to do this, and people start to get scared because they don't really know what the outcome truly is going to look like. So having people like yourself that have been through that experience and look, you're surviving. You're doing these great things. gives hope. So yeah great thing to keep on doing yeah sure yeah when we come to these events people see that you know it's great you do this massive running but they don't see all the the commitment that goes that leads up to this so what was the sort of i I remember you know my training when i did the the Biddy trail last year it was 3 a.m in the gym for an hour on on the spin bike every single morning going through the motions um Mm -hmm. and that was every every morning for like six months when I was at work and then obviously big big rides when I was at home but what's the same thing that you went through
0: well um you got a free moment you're either thinking about running or you're running you don't try to overdo it beforehand to be worn out and you know a big part of me is is if you're not running you're always on your feet and the nature of my life I'm on my feet a lot so that you just build this other kind of strength um, So that when you're committed and the the run race starts, um, you're more than halfway there with your training. And then it becomes this real rote routine thing and and a continuation of that. But, yeah, I mean, once a week getting like, you know, 25-mile runs. Or if you couldn't do it in one shot, you would be up in the AM, you know, running a a bulk of that and then running the remainder of the rest of the day. Like, well, sweet, there's twenty two miles, you know, in in two shifts. And then in between, you know, if you got time, you know, you can go out and say, Well, I just ran for two hours. You go eat lunch and you hop on the bike for two more hours. Uh, and somehow you find something to go run ninety more minutes at the end of the day. And then you will I've looked at a cardio like, Well, that's five and a half hours and you've also been on your feet in between. So all you need to do is like just move your butt for six seven hours a day, and there it is. It's just ramping up into that,
2: just keeping you know, your body used to that that movement and keeping the hardship. Six day, That's that's pretty that's pretty good. I was uh, stalking your Garmin, and I, I saw you doing over a million steps. Was that it was per month, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. One point one million steps in a month. That's crazy. That's it, and you know.
0: I screwed up because uh, some of my stuff on Garmin being in the Null Bar and reporting it back, and I didn't do my homework and test it good enough, but knowing it, it would track my runs, but then the sinking of the footsteps when we were out there for February, I would have ended up with like 1.9 or close to 2 million. I was like, that's a lot oh. of footsteps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's maybe better. I don't know that hard number. Like, oh, two million footsteps. You know, and I was like, I think it was that. It's a, it's a very <laughs> good thing, and I, I, I maybe your ego. I don't know, but yeah, it's. Uh, I've been really blessed and lucky for the most part in that. You know, some really chronic serious stuff that can happen from, you know, using your body like that, just like a machine. Um, my body's allowed me to continue to do that and act upon you know the desires and dreams of the mind you know it's i i don't want to say frustrating but at the same time you know i like completion um and you know at the end there you know when i was coming to the realization that you can't run you can't move you know that hurts and that stings and you can say sure look at this accomplishment in Western Australia in the summer, yeah, it's no joke. But in my mind, I'm like, Pfft, that's not the continent. But yet, when we're talking about, you know, the give back and community outreach which angle, it means a lot. Because a lot of people said, I was going to bail on my marathon, and I see how you're suffering, whatever. I can at least do a fraction of that a day, and I'll go off. So, you know, you're fueling that, too. So you're you're serving the purpose, but then your ego, your drive, your thing, and it's like, uh eh putting out that frequency of footsteps and you start running risks and towards the end of the day I sprained an ankle really bad on my left side just it rolled over and we wrapped it put ice on it ibuprofen all that it was still swollen still ran on it and then after five days of that the swelling went down it felt I could still run it was hurt but it would run and then the opposing side of the body started compensating So in the quad muscle, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles started tearing, the ligaments started getting stretched out. And then it was hard being able to lift my leg up. So to get into a vehicle, I had to pick my thigh up and put it, like plop it in a seat. I you there for a sec,
2: We rewind a bit. We probably missed, people are probably thinking, what are you talking about running, running in Western Australia? So after you run across America, you sort of decide to do, Run across Australia, right? So from City Beach in Western Australia to Sydney? Correct. You know, it's uh, after the U.S., uh, the attempt to break
0: the record on the Appalachian Trail, which runs along the east coast of uh, of the U.S., and then the bike ride in 2016. And I really wanted to run the Tour de France route. No one had ever done it. Someone beat me to it last summer. But Where they type i on diabetic, though. No, no, no. Just a just, just, a, just a human being like everyone else, you know. <laughs> um, just a regular mortal. Yeah, exactly. Um, Australia came about and said, "Well, a they speak English. B you've met people there. C um yeah, it's a continent." I started making plans. Things started coming together with support and sponsors uh, through Nike, through Garmin, through Scratch Labs. Um, some people that I had met and I live in a resort community in the mountains, like a lot of skiing going on and a famous race called the Leadville 100. just over the mountain from us, the next town over, uh, some people from Australia that have come here to do that. And these pieces started coming into place. So a lot of the logistics just started happening. And then I felt strong enough so that by October, it was getting close by November, closer and by
2: December. One's like, "Okay, you're doing this."
0: And had you been to
2: Australia before and seen no, ne- sort of like the Nullarbor? Never, never. W- would you have given it more time, or would you still have done the same same thing if you'd come out and seen the Nullarbor first?
0: Uh, I, I would you I have wonder- done anything
2: different? Yeah,
0: awesome question. And you know, it's um. You know, to choke back tears, you know, and my support crew, when we were making our way to Sydney after, you know, I threw in the towel, the question is, will you do this again? The question to them is, would you join me again? <laughs> and then how would you do it better? And, you know, some friends that have run across, you know, continents or trails and any of these other things, you know, most all of them have gone with some kind of like physical therapy type person. So that enrolling the ankle, we would have caught that right side, which would have given me a better fighting chance. They may have said, good, take four days off. What's four days at the risk of the back end? So what? You'll still finish. Heal your ankle. Just different things that I may have not been equipped and prepared to make that decision on. Also, from a vehicle standpoint, too, smaller, because it's... It's really, really, really demanding on your crew. You know, I could talk about coasting downhill on a bike, but, you know, when you're talking about supporting runs like this, to me, it's always, you know, the love and support and generosity, the selflessness from the crew. Because uh, it's 5.30 and you use the excuse of, I'm tired I've been running all day yesterday, it's hot. They're like, so what? I heard this before and I'm tired of chasing you all the time but I still have a smile and I'm still your biggest cheerleader, so let's go. So that, you know, you could give that that group a reprieve and then one vehicle goes out and then the next one drags their feet and feels like a human being for a little bit. Because you come in there, you're a whole array and myriad of emotions. You're great, you're miserable, you want to die, you're on top of the earth, you're Hot, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're basically a big, big, big baby uh, that has words, and your crew has to interact and deal and keep you going. So,
2: it's um, to say so you need some strong-minded people to take you on that journey. A lot of people, I know, it's it's hard enough just being a, a regular type one diabetic when you know you got your family to deal with that, the uh, the ups and downs that goes with that. So, doing that on a more intense basis over a long period of time. You're going to have to have some strong-willed people. Well, and also, one of the
0: people on my crew was a nurse, so she's at least familiar enough with diabetes. And, you know, the longer you have diabetes, it's just the bigger your database is becoming. Uh, So you understand these cause-and-effect relationships. But after the first week, I would wake up, my blood sugar would be 60 or 70, barely on any background insulin. I continuously cut back. So if I'm on like 15 units, 11 mere a day, or 30 in two doses, I would start shrinking that back 14, 13, 12, 11, 10. So the further we got into the run, the more I was cutting back that background because the liver just wasn't dumping glucose in the same kind of way. Uh, and I would eat five breakfasts. And I could. after six days of that, I just gave up. And I said good, I'm going to eat candy bars, a Snickers bar, a snack. I would eat three of those. My blood sugar would be at 70. I would go run for 60 minutes. I'd come back. My sugar would be at
2: 38. Whoa. That should not happen. So those in Australia, 70, 70 milligrams per deciliter is about, around about 4 millimole. And coming down, what did you say, 20, 28? 38. 38. So, so that's around 2 millimole. Yeah. After three candy bars, it just shows how much... I've like always seen it, like walking in particular. just increases insulin sensitivity so much. It's, it's a great thing to do. So imagine doing that many steps every day is going to really increase your insulin sensitivity. You know, I saw on in your interview with Neil, you are talking about one unit was dropping you, I think you said about 70 points. So again, about three and a half millimole, maybe four. That was in the beginning. Okay. That's
0: one unit would like one unit could take me from 220 down well below 100
2: wow
0: uh but in the morning i would eat five breakfasts, like two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches go run so 70 down to like 50 eat like three eggs and a banana same thing 70 and then come back down to down to 50 no insulin do that three more times like five pieces of French toast, it didn't matter, syrup, come back, sugar would maybe be like 80 at that point, and then come back and sugar would be at 60, no insulin. Do that two more times, Uh, no insulin. But by the time I would stop like around 11, between 11 and noon when that temperature started getting up 45 Celsius, by one o'clock, like the wave would finally click, and the glucose would finally register so i have a high blood sugar of like 200 with no insulin then you correct it with 2 units and then bam you you're eating within the hour anyways again so the evenings would w- would even out more but every now and again you would eat dinner in the same thing you eat another dinner and sometimes that other dinner would just throw an erratic number up. Like you'd see that line trending up towards 300. Uh, but the day before, that line would be sinking. You were really on top. It was like driving a, or riding a mountain bike. Like you were really finessing the wheels around all the obstacles always. Uh, and we did it without any detriment to diabetes, but we had the gluten gun already. Because it was just, for me, a really uncharted place to be. And that having that kind of sensitivity, but not really having that much
2: insulin either. I suppose the other thing is your body's using up so much glucose that your muscles are just starving for glucose. So when that glucose finally gets in there, it just goes straight into your muscles and doesn't even touch your blood sugar. Right. And and on top
0: of it, you know, I was losing weight and I was eating, call it, 10,000 calories a day on barely any insulin, but also, you know, I don't know the, the the firm average, but over 31 days running 950 miles with basically two days off. So you're losing weight, your insulin sensitivity is through the roof, it's hot, so your body's fighting to keep you cooler, like all those little variables. And even like there was like a carryover in that Two weeks later I was eating everything in sight, always like put trying to put weight back on and my blood sugars would be like one hundred just all day long. Which is great. But you're like, No, because you're trained to say, You eat this, here's the here's the projected outcome. You eat this, that's not the projected outcome. So you gotta be patient with it, be ready on insulin but also get to a point where you would go back to historically how you best understand it. Uh, And there were moments, it was very, very frustrating to be like, wow, it's 58. I still got to run, you know, 20, uh, basically a marathon more. And I don't know how to get my blood sugar up. Like we've already tried like a liter of orange juice and that did nothing. It was like fighting like a demon that you just could not kill. You just, could not. We just kept on throwing food
2: at it, and eventually, it sat quietly enough. So, you touched on something really good when uh, you had your interview with Neil, being proactive rather than reactive. I think that's a really good thing. One of, the, one of the key things you said was you can't take insulin away. You can give insulin, but you can't take it away. Yeah. And sometimes we sort of become impatient. We we see that number, and we know that whatever we've given should be bringing us down, but we we tend to get a bit, little bit impatient and then overdo it and then you've got too much insulin on board and you end up being that crash. So I think you know, having that, especially when, with all this running that you're doing and how sensitive you are, that taking that proactive and being patient, waiting for that insulin to work, probably the, the safer thing to do.
0: And we're seeing this as adults and people that have lived with it a long time, you know, and if we can really impart that to, you know, like those teenagers uh, and those families, you know, you want to understand the relationship between exercise, diet, and insulin, you know. And if you got a good grasp on that as a foundation, then you can start better understanding some more complexity in the variables. You go to the hospital with a hypo—that's serious and what you should do. But you don't want to go to the hospital with that hypo. Sometimes, if it if it's trending, to sit there watching and year over year over year with, with bad blood sugars on the high side, of course. And people have different interactions with higher blood sugars. Than others like some people 200 feels like murder you know it just feels really horrible and overwhelming but you know with the kid you know and if they're playing football and it's 200 you know okay good how do you tweak and perfect it and with micro dosing on pumps you get more into it but build that framework first because like oh it's 200 here's three units oh wow you're not playing football you're going to the hospital and it's daunting you had a snack, you overate, but still you're a kid, and then you compound that with hormones and everything else, and the complexity of managing it. Um, you know, like you said, being a little bit patient and having some perspective too. I'm not yeah. advocating for being on the high side, but what I'm saying is, you trying to live life, and you're trying to live life with the understanding of how diabetes works with it, and how those variables impact it. And you know what? We can say this all. I'll say all this all day long, but tomorrow it's gonna say, "Sweet, you just ran twenty miles, and your blood sugar's <clears> three <throat> hundred."
2: Because
0: we felt like messing up. Well, you know it all? No, you don't, because human the way the body works sometimes.
2: Yeah, we call that random ass diabetes.
0: Dude, totally, totally. <laughs> so,
2: and it happens so much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like you said before, you didn't quite make it across Australia, but I think. What you did achieve is still pretty epic. You should be pretty proud of where you got to, particularly running across the Nullarbor. You know, what, what was the temperature that you, you reached up there?
0: Uh, we saw on a thermometer one day, and this was like at 1145 in front of a, a truck stop, 46 Celsius. Um, great. And then, I, know I, I, I know it went out. We didn't have the best internet connection out there, so we didn't always know. You just kind of had a sense of it, so... By eleven o'clock, you'd feel the temperature, and you just know. And then if it started hurting going outside, like, oh, that's when it's time to take a siesta, you know.
2: So you did a bit of not running, not running as well, didn't you? To was that to get get out of the the heat?
0: Exactly, and also, you know, it became more manageable in the sense of, you know, the goal in the AM was like that twenty. And every week it increased a little bit, but, you know, 20 to 25 miles. You take a break. You're not running for about three and a half hours. The temperature starts going down again. It gets below 100 or like 42 Celsius. And um, good, you just need to go run 10 more miles. That's it. And then you're done by like 5 o'clock, 5.30. You know, you make dinner. You go
2: eat a second dinner and you start getting ready for bed to go do it all over the next day. What's it like running it at nighttime? time? I know when I when I go mountain biking at nighttime, I, it's pretty exhilarating. I feel it's a, probably a lot more fun at nighttime. Is it similar similar with the running? And I would be at dusk. Uh, for me, yaks yeah,
0: would be cooler and very quiet. But they're like hurry up! We're worried it's dark. You know, let's end the day. So a lot of it was you know some moments saying, well. You think you could go further, but you're working with a team, and that's a family, so you call it. And not that they held me back, but you're making smart decisions to set yourself up day over day over day for successes. So I didn't get too far into the nighttime, but I have run at night, and it can be. I don't know. I like like late afternoon personally, but, you know. Good any time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's not good when it's 120
2: degrees or 47 Celsius. So. No, definitely not. And where did you get to? So you, you, you crossed Western Australia, you got to South Australia. I did, and how yeah. far into South Australia did you get? Barely, just border village. Uh, I know you you, well, you, said frustrated with where you pulled out, but I think you said about 950
0: miles. Yeah.
2: yeah. Which is, I think, about 1,500 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Mate, that that is still pretty epic. You know, that's that's something to be very very proud of. I know it it wasn't the total total distance you were going for, but
0: well, in the back of my mind, there's so again, you know, based on where I live in this very uh, famous longer race, there's a shorter version of it that's fifty miles. It's called the Leadville, it's the Leadville fifty, and it goes like up to fourteen thousand feet. You go over another mountain in between. Um, and that'll be my barometer because I'm just starting, like I went through PT, they had me riding a bike for a little bit. Um, and then I started running again and it's incrementally just building back up so that if I can do the Leadville 50 and not die, that'll be like, okay, like there's no reason why you couldn't do Australia. And my goal and my hope is to be able to take another shot at it starting, uh, the middle of September. Um. So in the next, I guess that's four or five months, whatever
2: that is, but is, four months or so. That's, um, that's a pretty big commitment. Right after this one, I, I noticed as well that, again, stalking your garment, I saw within a month you were back running. Like you said, yeah. small increments, but it's good that it didn't make you give up and you still felt that little bit of motivation to keep on trucking on. So, that's, But, yeah, yeah, six months. So when did you finish? That was end of February, wasn't it?
0: Correct, yeah. Yeah, very end of February
2: drive back into it
0: well and and, you know you take momentum and you also you have the obsession of better weather and then i don't know like we one of the things we talked about is you go again do you leave from sydney and run to perth maybe um you save the null bar for the end because you have momentum you know i don't know or do you go perth to sydney again i don't know the biggest challenge is too is to have the resources so you know, anyone within your community that has access to a motorhome, I'd love to talk to them, you know, because that was always been the killer. Whether you're trying to tour to France or you're trying for um, run across the U.S. or Australia, Cause you come over and you rent those things and they get pricey. And that's like the biggest obstacle There's about 9,000 things I could do if I had a motorhome that's followed me around the earth, you know, but you don't have that. so um,
2: I'm sure there'll be I'd some motivated be. people out there somewhere that'd love to come on board.
0: Yeah. Well, and also too, it's with that said, it's, you know, having a PG person too. Um, I think I'm going to finally take the hook on it and, um, you know, have them out there because their talent, their skill, their resources, and it's only going to help and keep me going. Seeing that and struggling moving my leg, it was like, you just needed to do this for under 40 more days. And mentally, I knew it. Like there, the finish line wasn't there. But you know you'd get there, but the body just couldn't deliver on it. You know, an errant footstep, and there it goes. But also at the end of the day, you're sloppy, you're tired, you're all these things. And I think with less severe heat, you know, the right support crew, having done it before, and not being afraid to say, fine, I don't get there on the 13th of April. I get there on the 23rd of May, whatever. You still get there. But you get a, it, a little bit different patience to it. Um, and probably running just smoother and pokier and slower and just cleaner. You know, there's a lot of erratic, you know. Because I looked down at my watch, like, after the second week, and it was at the end of the day, and it's saying, you know, a 512 mile. I'm like, you're an idiot. But it felt good, and I just rolled with it. Whereas in the morning, I was running a, barely a 10-minute mile for a while. You just these things would pop sometimes, and you didn't fight
2: it; you just rolled with it. So consistency yeah, is the key for those sort of endurance events, isn't it? You need to yeah, not but, get hooked up in that in that rush where you're feeling feeling really good because you know it's, it's going to tend to crap the next day. Totally, but you already knew
0: that tomorrow is going to be crap anyway. So like, what the like? Maybe you'll pull pull out, you know, a sub five minute mile the next day because why not?
2: You know, yeah.
0: put some variety in there and, and enjoy it. And, you know, with that said, even when it was, um, you know, it became a real struggle, you know, lifting that hip and lifting that leg, it would almost be like the only way I can describe it is you black out basically by like two minutes, and finally you would lie to yourself and figure out how to swing that leg around somehow, and it would just get locked in and go. And even, you know, suffering and that kind of experience in those moments – I still enjoyed it, which is twisted, but I still enjoyed it.
2: No, that's so, a, you're doing what you love. That's what it's all about, mate.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so,
2: having that physio person on your team, I think, would be very important. I'd, probably about five years ago, I think it was, I cycled from Carasa to Broome. That's so an 800-kilometre stretch, and we did it in a team, two teams. So you sort of do certain legs, and then you, you hop on the bus, and you you meet at the next section and you swap over. They yeah' up yeah. about 450 kilometres, so it's probably about 300 miles. Wow. Um, and someone that I was doing it with was actually a physio. And I remember middle of the night, 3 a.m., I'm sitting on the bus, legs stretched out across the seats, and she's putting in acupuncture needles throughout my leg to you know, keep the muscles working. And that was, that was so beneficial, having that person on board. I think that would be a really good addition to your team, I think. And, you know, I, I, I've been stubborn in that some people
0: I know who have done it a long time ago would be like, whatever, you just go. Don't overthink it. And then other people that are that are doing these things are saying, uh-uh, because you're, you're putting out the mileage. So, you know, it is kind of a philosophy. It almost comes down to, like, you know, religious sensibilities, you know, one way or another. But I think now it's based on, you know, if I had that kind of support and that as a resource, also, if I wasn't in the null bar and there was an MRI, you know, all these things would have, could have, should have, but, you know, the circumstances and the environment are what they are. You know, how do you set yourself up for success? And that comes down to planning and ingrained in people that are, I don't want to say successfully, but people that are managing diabetes. Diabetes loves routine. Diabetes loves planning. Diabetes loves these things that can be kind of boring and not, you know, you know, is a whim, but you know, doesn't work for people like us. True, yeah. But <laughs> you know, and I, I, I say that because I, I do value it and I do appreciate it and do see it, its benefits and merits. Because, you know, if you're going to eat Thanksgiving or, you know, Easter uh, brunch, well, if you're able to hop on the bike for three hours, maybe it's easier. Uh, rather than saying, well, I'll correct it with a pile of insulin. Yeah, yeah. that's an option too. But, you know... Earned, so to speak, and that comes down to planning, you know, and I, um, I really think that, you know, a big part of it. And now with diabetes being a pandemic, you know, not only in, a, in your home in Australia, the numbers are increasing, but here in the States and globally, the more people that can get advocate, you can advocate for and, you know, try to try to inspire them to go off and do their own great stuff in the communities, then in turn, motivate that next person you know, we got a better shot at fighting it because you know it's not cheap. It's it has a whole other dimension of the time demand on it. You know, and then it gets into a quality of life and shortening of life, complications, and all that. So, I, I think it's type ones in a lot of ways. There can be some sensitivity towards you know the in numbers, primarily coming from type twos. But let's keep those type two numbers down, and maybe more research dollars goes back to type one. Yeah, the, the the real fight in the globe right now is, is that as a pandemic and all those people entering in is type twos because in part, you know, lack of activity and dietary choices. Um, and it's not an us and them equation. It's more of that's just where we are in the world now. And I think the type ones, you're forced to contend with it in a very different way. So yeah. why
2: do you want what we got? And going back to, both motivation and, and planning. With your run across Australia, I noticed you had a big list of names on tape that you were you were sticking to your yeah. shoot every day. What's the story behind that?
0: So, um, you know, it gets lonely out there. <laughs> There's a million reasons not to get out of bed. Um, and it just became an idea to put it out there and say, hey, I'll run for you for the day. And I... Well, going again, I'll do it different. I'll organize it differently. But you have this name and this person that's watching. And don't let them down. So when you feel like, and I never was really at a moment like, I'm not going to take another step. This is too hard, blah. Except for in the end when I literally just couldn't. But Good you look tip. down. Yeah. You look down on your foot and it may see dire and you may be covered in sweat. And the tractor trailers are really close. And there's, you know, some roadkill out there. You're reminded of something beyond you, much bigger than you, and a connection and a counterpoint in the universe, someone who's watching and cheerleading that day on a very specific level. Um, Some of the notes I would get would be really encouraging and and just really, really touching. So, yeah, someone wrote me uh, why and their frustration with, you know, access to insulin and some of the complications they recently had. And just the hardship they were experiencing, and they're saying, "Well, you know, maybe I should start getting active again." Thank you for doing this. And well, you look at the name exactly. and the shoe and be like, "Your life's easy. You're just running across the continent. You're not. You don't have the weight on your wall the weight on your shoulders." Like this person is experiencing this moment. Although all of us with diabetes over a long enough timeline, you know, will have moments like that. But it becomes again bigger than you. And I'm just a vessel, you know. Research. Amazing doctors, uh, politicians who advocate for us, philanthropists who choose to make diabetes a priority, uh, families, our our support groups, our friends, you know, we're a reflection of a lot of people's, you know, effort and energy. Um, My gift is just my feet, you know, and ability to lend a voice to it. But I only exist because of that effort and that hard work and their sacrifice and choice. All of us do, too, so we can look at a lot of the negativity and aspiring for better, but at the same time, there's a lot to be grateful for in this moment because it's not Dr. Banting in 2021 saying maybe this will work in the discovery of insulin, maybe it won't. You know, we've come a long way. Um, And there's a lot to be, again, very appreciative of. So yeah, go out to those community, the Type 1 Diabetes Family Center. What Becca does holy crap, that's
2: what an amazing resource you guys have. That's mm. beautiful. and there's a whole bunch of teenagers on, on camp at the moment as well. I, I, I saw be. that, yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Got some good songs happening that they're making up around diabetes and uh, <laughs> they're all having a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always so, seem to miss it. I'm always at work when those camps are on, otherwise I'd be popping along as well. Yeah, you know, being an adult's hard some someday, so, yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to Sit around and talk more about sports. There's so much so much to talk about. Don't have that much time today. Before we sort of head off, have you got any sort of motivational message for the masses out there? People that um, are looking at you and wondering how they can start exercising a bit more? or um, Yeah, what, what would you say?
0: I'll skew that a little bit. If you, you know, in your followers, in your audience, if you have, you know, people that are already active and engaged, find someone that isn't if they're a pre-diabetic or a type two diabetic, like not dumb it down in a bad way, but if you're like racing the Tour de France, that's one thing, right? If you're like trying to do Everesting, that's one thing, all right? So maybe you bike down, you know, the path that goes along the river in Perth, fine. But find someone and kind of champion and cheerlead with them a little bit and take a moment to give back to that community. And, you know, you'll probably feel grateful for that. You know, again, it's, four-year-old and a 94-year-old, you know, how do you create outlets for opportunities? Sometimes it comes to leadership and, you know, finding another person with diabetes uh, that may be struggling in some ways, it won't just simply be about the activity, but some people are shy. Some people don't want the more organized institutional aspect, but one-on-one, it can make a huge change in their life. And... You know, who knows? They may be the one giving you uh, direction and uh, advice in the future, too, because they will figure it out, something that that we never even dreamt of. But also, too, um, there's always reasons not to, But and it's a little bit unfair because prime ministers or presidents have people that cook them food and do their laundry. I can't say my president right now is an active guy, but previous ones have been. Someone like Bill Gates, all these people find time to get active 30 minutes a day. And if they can, I think all of us um, can try to make it a priority and just find start at 30 minutes. And you don't need to break a world record. You just need to move the body. Mm. Uh, And a little bit adds up. And do that over a long enough timeline, you know, you'll be better off as a person. But your diabetes will definitely benefit from that. 'Cause that balancing exercise, diet, and
2: insulin is so huge. Hopefully yeah, people man. can take that and find some people to coach and find some inspiration to get moving every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for setting this up, Kyle. Yeah. No, thank you. Get you back on. Talk a Off. bit more. Probably leading up to your uh, your run again. I love it. I gotta follow up with you on that too. So in the
0: meantime people can check out do like outrun diabetes, uh and then that'll link up to
2: social media too if you don't wanna Garmin stalk me, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, i'll put all your uh all your links in the show notes as well so people can love run diabetes so you're going to use that same uh website for the the next run i sure will i sure will okay. Yeah. great great so
0: awesome and maybe when i get back over to australia you and i can go for a bike ride
2: most definitely yeah we'll, 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 we'll drag neil along too <laughs> yeah i'm sure he'd love to come along yeah, awesome okay. all right great talking to you again mate great talking to you we'll too to all right bye thank you See ya.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. And if you are liking this podcasting series, please don't forget to subscribe and feel free to leave me a comments, Facebook page or on the mylazypancreas.com website. Thanks again and I hope you join me for the next episode.